Welcome to the Outlier Health podcast. And just as you were clicking record, I realized that I'm drinking coffee and have brown teeth, which That's is something good. I'm gonna have to learn when we're on video. It's also a great segue because we're talking about ultra processed food today. And I wonder, yeah. coffee is like one of the most processed foods out there, I hear. I don't know enough about it. Do you worry about that? Do you know anything about that? Well, I definitely don't worry about my teeth being brown because I drink it all the time. Uh, in the mornings when I'm on these shows and after brushing my teeth, not before. So I, I've embraced the brown teeth. It just comes with old age, right? If you, I think the worst thing to do would be trying to whiten your teeth uh, with, I'm always tempted. And then I'm thinking, well, I don't want that stuff in my mouth, whatever, whatever they use to whiten teeth. So that's probably way worse than coffee would be my guess. As far as uh, UPF goes, I think coffee wouldn't be considered UPF. Uh, and there's probably a lot of gray area foods. Actually, we'll get to it in a little bit, this breakdown, but I think it's just like a processed food. One of these foods has been, consumed yeah. for hundreds of years and you know before the technology existed to ultra process things nowadays maybe they do different things i wouldn't be surprised i mean bulletproof coffee that's ultra processed they're adding something to that uh in a different way but well, i think good old regular coffee i don't know i don't think that's i don't think it's in the ups yeah. category in theory, if it's ground coffee beans, you would have to imagine that it gets around the system the classification system which we'll get to which has that profit motive so yep you know, yep. bulletproof coffee definitely fits in there. Um, I will say though, one of the most wild things and that has made me think very differently about what goes into my mouth is that the mouth is like the start of your microbiome and all those bacteria, you know, have the same sort of photo communication with the rest of your body. And so I'm with you. I, I think the, the teeth whitening stuff and the fluorides and all the rest, like I'm I haven't quite gotten to baking soda. My wife is not as weird as I am. So we have a little bit of a, you know, disconnect there. I would probably be, you know, not using any teeth, <laughs> toothpaste if it was up to me. But you know what? I, okay. On this topic, I didn't mean to go deeply into this, but I forgot that I had a, uh, I was doing a Dr. Gregor turmeric scrub with baking soda <laughs> you put, and I don't know how it worked because the turmeric stains. Everything. That's really yellow teeth. I mean, right. I mean, it, it makes it things permanently yellow. somehow with teeth. It doesn't, it does the opposite. It whitens. Uh, you, you should look is this that, up before doing it. Everyone's is that like but, the purple toothpaste that you see now on, on Instagram uh, ads. Have you seen that? Like, I, I think I have seen that, but it's like you, you like show ultraviolet on your teeth and they're like just bright yellow. And then like you put this purple thing on it and because like purple cancels out yellow and some, you know, weird universe, they like become totally okay. white. Right. I mean, right. it's probably killing you and giving you cancer, but your teeth will be stunning. There you go. Well, turmeric <laughs> wouldn't, right? Turmeric might actually, uh, might actually prevent that cancer. Who knows? Uh, yeah. There anyway, I might, I might revisit the turmeric thing. That seems like a fairly natural thing to do. But yeah, who knows? Even turmeric, even turmeric, I'm not sold on. I think, uh, I just think it's a, it's an intense, almost medicinal thing. And the way to just eat tons of it or put it in your mouth and let it absorb under your tongue. I don't know about that. I'm not sold. Well, in, a, in another in another episode, we should <laughs> dig into these things and our natural predilection to super doses of anything that's healthy, which I am. 100 percent uh at fault of or i i succumb to i'm like oh yeah you know if, if turmeric's good you know ten thousand milligrams of turmeric must be even better right yeah right <laughs> I, I mean that would fit the theme of this show right because we talk about influencers and, and companies uh 
who who will take that sort of thing and run with it and and turn it into a this is a new superfood you should have ten thousand percent of the of the rda of it or whatever so anyway yeah that's uh definitely a good topic but but today we're going to talk about ultra processed food upf as it is known um you know i don't think i had really ever heard of ultra processed food until last year sometime in 2023 is when when i was doing plant-based morning show research i just started seeing it week after week in different articles um, people referring to it as if it was a sort of common knowledge, what ultra processed food was. And only kind of recently has it dawned on me that it, it been around for a while, like this, the Nova classification system, this Brazilian study that, that did it. I think that's been around since, um, I don't know, mid, mid 2020, 2010s. Um, so it's not brand new. Uh, but I think it maybe got popular with the rise of vegan meats. And it became this kind of weapon people, media outlets could use uh, against vegan diets, right? It just it's it gave people a way to refer to this plant-based alt meat food um, in a way that sounds pretty damning, right? Ultra processed food sounds like what we don't want because we've all, we're not, I mean, most of us, anyone listening to this show uh, has kind of been indoctrinated in the idea, thanks to Michael Pollan's work and others, that like processed food is maybe the the biggest enemy of all when it comes to our nutrition and what's wrong with it. So this ultra processed food is an interesting category. Uh, there was a good book about it last year that came out ultra processed people by Chris Van Tulliken. You and I both read it as we were uh, putting together our thoughts for this book that we are writing. And it's an interesting thing. It's kind of easy just to like, as soon as we start talking about diet and food and, and like problems with our health to kind of just point the finger at ultra processed food and say, this is the problem. Uh, all this fighting about paleo versus vegan versus keto, it maybe doesn't matter, right? Maybe everyone's right because we're all saying don't eat the processed food, don't buy it, don't be part of this food system, um, and, and and maybe that's just the problem, right? And maybe that's it. Uh, some recent studies, I think, maybe call that into question a little bit, but we can get into those things. Um, so I guess, okay. I guess, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think I think the thing that's most surprising, that's kind of actually my default. So I'd love maybe we should start there at the the most macro level, because I often talk to folks who are not vegan. I it just came up yesterday, actually. And, uh, you know, what do you do came up? So I talk about our work promoting a plant based diet. And immediately, you know, we it becomes almost like, a, you know, someone asked about religion. Right. And so, yep. you know, I find myself needing to justify it and explain it. But but I, I still find myself also saying, you know, the first thing that you should do is cut out ultra processed foods, right? Because um, it's a topic that everyone can agree on. And, and I wonder if you, uh, if you agree that that is the most important thing. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I think it'd be lovely if everybody, you know, went fully plant based overnight. But if we really think about the impact on, you know, society at large, if we could reduce the intake of ultra processed food or processed food in general, you are going to replace it on the other end. And assuming that they're not replacing it with a carnivore diet, you know, I do think we would see a, a great improvement in our collective health. And if you look at, I mean, the most radical thing, or I should say the, the most interesting thing that I took away from that book was that, um, you know, if they did the statistical controls for salt, fat, sugar, dietary fiber, right? If, if they looked at the food as, you know, 
macro and micronutrients. And then they looked at the rates of dementia and cancer and heart attacks and early date death. It had just as much to do with, or I should say it had everything to do with the processing and much less to do with the actual things that were in that food, right? So okay. the exact same amount of salt, sugar, fat, fiber, right? All of that in a, in a whole food, right? In a home cooked meal as, as our great, great grandmothers might have put together those same nutrients, but done in this processing way, this chemicalized food, you know, have a radically different effect on our body. And I think, I think that was the thing that really kind of solidified the, the understanding for me, because I think part of the problem, and we can go any direction you want from here, and this last thing I'll say is, you know, so much of what the conversation around nutrition has become are those numbers, right? Where you look at, oh, well, if, I, if I'm lowering my calories, and as long as I get the protein number and, you know, more of the fiber number and less of the sugar number, everything's fine, right? And I know I've succumbed to that at different points in my life. Um, but it doesn't take into consideration that food is a is a complex symphony of all of these different things, right? And they all work together. And nature has developed them, and our bodies and our microbiome has has been, you know, kind of evolving to work with these different foods. And we really don't understand a lot of that complexity, except to say that when we when we look at these the science of this stuff, it becomes pretty clear that there's some bad stuff that happens when you're eating a Twinkie. Yeah, right. So, I mean, there's an interesting distinction even to make there. Right? You you talked about these sugars, and you said whole food, and then you mentioned grandmother cooking something. But grandmothers and great grandmothers, they weren't really making whole foods, right? Even when they were doing whatever, making the making the pasta, making the pies, right? They're using sugar in that. They're using white flour in that. Uh, and those under this Nova classification system are not ultra processed food. They're just processed food. Uh, and so there's interesting distinctions to be made there and, and questions to ask of like, how much is, is okay. And if we ate the way people did, you know, say a hundred years ago, um, where sugar is, you know, a, a pantry staple and you use it in lots of things, but you're always using it yourself. You're not often going and buying Twinkies, as you said, um, where, you know, a couple of things go badly. There are different chemicals and things that are used, preservatives, things that make that stuff worse. But there's also this whole food technology business that is about getting people to consume more of the food to maximize the number of calories that they consume. Um, and that's, that's a very different thing from the goal of a, of a home cook. They want to make good food. They don't really have the goal of getting people to eat as much of it as possible. So ultra processed food in the, you know, the modern sense has all kinds of things that I don't think we understand at all. Maybe the science is making it do, uh, where it, it doesn't just, uh, you know, make us want to eat. It's not just so tasty that we want to keep eating it. That's it's partly that they do add the lots of the salt, sugar and fat and things. But apparently, according to this, this Van Tullican book that we read, um, it's actually the, the real problem is actually that it causes our body to basically it, that the food bypasses this system, the systems we have that tell us to stop eating the, the satiety mechanisms and all these things. Uh, and you can imagine that one of the easy ways to do that is remove the actual nutrition from the food, because that will also keep tell you about keep those those i'm full signals from from coming on uh because there's no yeah. actual nutrition there so anyway well the other uh, way just 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 to, to double down that because again i i thought that was a great book and there's certain nuggets that really stuck out to me one of them is the softness of the food 
Yeah. And if you think of your your stomach as a balloon and there are actual receptors that, you know, like when when it's stretched, it's full and it starts to trigger your brain. That's why there's the old, you know, Japanese uh, um, saying of eat till 80% full because by the time the other 20% hits your stomach and, and those receptors trigger your brain, you know, you've already overeaten. Um, but if they're, you know, as as was described in this book, if you look at like a meal from McDonald's, French fries, hamburger, Coke, right? Like it, it seems like there's food there, but when you really like think about like the softness to it, they've removed so much of the fiber, right? Like you're not using your jaw muscles really to like, you know, chomp down as if it was an apple. And then obviously it just passes straight through your your stomach in a way that really doesn't trigger the same level of, of satiety. Um, by the way, fun fact, when you said white sugar, I was thinking to myself, when was white sugar created? Because I had this conception that, you know, everything in the past was was uh, sweetened with like, you know, molasses or maple syrup or honey because, you know, mm -hmm. uh, those are the natural sweeteners. 2,500 years ago in <laughs> India. Wow. So chemically processed sugar was first arrived on the scene. So to your point, right, that probably looks very different in terms of the the uh, the manner in which it was chemically processed than it is today. But it goes to show you, we've been processing and manipulating foods for a long, long time. And maybe that's a good segue into the classification system, the NOVA classification system that uh, if you want to take it, uh, helps people to understand what is processed food versus what is ultra processed food. <clears throat> Yeah, let's let's look at that. This was the research that uh, that seemed to kind of put ultra processed food or UPF on the map, um, and and they make these distinctions first. Like, there's the group one is called unprocessed or minimally processed, and this I think is what all of us think of when we think of whole foods. Uh, you know, they give some some examples: natural package cut, chilled frozen vegetables, bulk packaged grains, beans, uh, wheat, oats, grits, flakes, dried pasta. So dried pasta included there, which is interesting because that uh, you would think you think that would be a processed food. Um, or min or at least more than minimally processed, but no, they're they're saying that's one. Uh, eggs, lentils, my my, my, my gluten free bonza pasta is for sure more than minimal. <laughs> I don't know what the process is, but I can guarantee you, it is more than minimally processed to make a a chickpea into that dried pasta. <laughs> yeah, and and so that's a really interesting question, which we can get to in a minute. Is like when these supposed health foods gets made get made, and and they are more processed than the thing that they are replacing. Uh, are they actually healthier? And and I don't know the answer. Uh, and I'm sure it varies, but it's an interesting discussion. Uh, group two, the next worst, really, although they didn't say these were bad until they started researching them. First, they just categorized. Um, oils, fats, salt, and sugar. These are called the processed culinary ingredients. So these are the things that that you know weren't uncommon in a pantry hundreds of years ago, and in that way kind of get a pass from being UPF. Um, but they're certainly not whole foods. And so here they've got honey, butter, lard. These are all the non-vegan examples. There's also coconut fat, maple syrup, uh, all the oils that are, you know, pressed from olives, corn, soybeans, et cetera. Uh, the sugars, white, brown, et cetera. Uh, and then group three, you get processed foods. So here's where we are now combining those ingredients in the previous groups, especially the previous group, uh, into actual foods. So they've got some things like tomato extract, fruits and sugar syrup, beef jerky, bacon, freshly made cheeses, coconut fat, uh, freshly made breads with wheat flour, yeast, water, and salt. And bread's an interesting example um, because it seems like kind of the classic bad processed food that you shouldn't eat. 
Um, but when you distinguish, you know, actual bread made at home from what you find in the grocery store, which almost always has additives, uh, you know, it's an interesting discussion. So group four finally is the ultra processed foods. And uh, the, the simple definition, I mean, they give you a bunch of examples, pre-prepared pizza, pre-prepared meat, uh, fat, fatty, sweet, savory, or salty packaged snacks, biscuits, ice creams, and frozen desserts, chocolates, candies, et cetera, cola. So all these, you know, and there are many, many more here. Um, I think you can get a sense of what counts as UPF and what doesn't. But in the um, in ultra processed people, he gave an interesting uh, definition. I don't remember the exact one that he came up with, uh, but he said basically if it was made with if it's a food that was made with ingredients not found in a typical domestic kitchen. So that's the first one, um, meaning you know the preservatives and the things that the old like if you can't pronounce it, you probably shouldn't eat it. The, all the things you can't pronounce, um, maybe some of the gums that we don't typically stock in our kitchens. Um, and then he added profit motive made with the intention of making a profit. And that's, that's a big distinguisher, right? Cause then suddenly it's about getting people to eat more of it than they otherwise, uh, might, and their body might tell them to. And that is a massive difference. And so when you think about the supermarket bread, for example, uh, it, it's, you know, it's very different. Like if you go to the store and try to buy a loaf of bread, it's really hard to find one that doesn't have a bunch of preservatives and things that you can't pronounce and added sugar and all this other stuff. Um, whereas what you make at home is, is much simpler than that. It might just have four or five ingredients and I'm still not sure if it's healthier, right? Like, I think it's not, it's probably better, but like, that doesn't mean I can just start eating homemade bread all the time. So that's what kind of gets me with, with this debate about like, is ultra processed food, the main or only reason we are unhealthy. Um, and I don't know, and I don't know if it is, or if this other category of, you know, the sugars, the oils, these things that are found in a domestic kitchen, for sure, uh, is that also included in the foods that uh, we need to be avoiding? So there's some there's some basic, you know, very basic data on UPF. It has not been studied that much. Um, but something that backs up Van Tulligan's point is that studies show that we eat 500 calories more per day on a UPF-centered diet. Um, there's your there's your reason for weight gain and many, reason for many other health woes probably um because like we said not only is it more delicious and more addictive it also bypasses your system that tells you to stop eating it uh and then another one the uh, u.s national health and nutrition examination survey found that ultra processed foods comprise about 60 percent of the total calories in the u.s diet uh which is i mean kind of a staggering number right we're talking about these foods that sound like a pretty crazy idea to go eat almost any of them and more than half of our calories as a society come directly from them yeah. I mean, I think if you just, first of all, just to take issue and get your opinion on one thing, class three processed food includes vegetables that have been, you know, what would it call salt brine or, or uh, preserved with uh, vinegar um, mm -hmm. or by pickling. And I like, I know a lot of GI experts and dietitians who would really take issue with the idea that, uh, um, you know, a, a fermented kimchi or something, all these probiotic uh, uh, foods, um, which sure, they're processed, they have, you know, maybe high, high salt, but like, they're also teeming with the good bacteria that helps that mouth and gut microbiome. And that's where I think to your point, you know, any anything that can take the complexity that is human's relationship with food and then the the multifactorial sort of uh relationship that humans 
have with exercise, sleep, food, social connection, purpose, all these things that we know to, to build up uh, a really healthy lifestyle and contribute to, you know, vibrant health today and longevity, anything that tries to break that down into just food and just, you know, these four categories. And if you stick to this category, that category, it is, is always going to have openings for debate, right? And, and it's always, it's clearly oversimplifying, like I said, that, that complex symphony of how these, uh, you know, organisms interact with our bodies. Cause again, you know, a, a piece of, of, uh, fruit is not just, you know, the macro and micronutrients. It's also got the enzymes and, and again, the, the bacteria and everything that's living in and on that, that fr fruit. So that, that's the piece that I take issue with and would just caution everyone that, you know, ultimately, if you try to oversimplify things, you will find gaps and you will find arguments and then you will find frustration. That said, I do think that if we step back and just take an honest view of where we've been over the last hundred years, you know, like it's really hard not to say that replacing 60% of the U S diet <laughs> with ultra processed food isn't contributing mightily to some of our challenges related to the rise of, of cancer incidents amongst young people, for instance, the rise of, of dementia and symptoms related to, you know, Alzheimer's, the, you know, obviously obesity, right? Like we know these, these stats that get thrown out every day that 88% of the U S is metabolically unfit, right? Like we are, we are a very, very unhealthy group of people. Um, and if you look at some of these stats of like, you know, the decline of physical activity or the increase of, of calories, um, as a proportion coming from ultra processed foods, it's really hard not to say that that is likely, you know, a contributing factor, not the only one, right. And whether or not it's group three or group four, or, you know, should you eat fermented foods that, you know, uh, got there with a, a vinegar brine, like, you know, but it's really hard not to point the finger at, at these new novel, you know, food, uh, or, or non-foods if you, if you want to go there. Yeah. I mean, to your point about the, uh, the pickled vegetables, like I, one of the things that I've sort of taken from this research and, and learning about ultra processed foods is that, is that maybe these foods that they're calling processed foods, which maybe just sort of an unfortunate name of the category. Uh, like you could call this category where you put those, you know, the pickled vegetables and the, and the beef jerky and the tomato extract and the salted meats, coconut fat, freshly made cheeses, freshly made breads. Like if you called that traditionally homemade foods, right? it suddenly sounds like a kind of a good thing. And that's Is what like I medieval medieval foods with the exception yeah. of maybe like, well, actually, no, I mean, alcohol, right. To your point, um, you know, nuts and seeds that have been salted or sugared. I mean, you could see that those things in probably a market, you know, 500 sure. years ago. Right. Right. And so like what I've kind of gotten from these things is, is I've actually questioned the assumption I had before all this that, you know, salt and white flour are, are necessarily bad things. And that those are the reason we're unhealthy. We're unhealthy for putting uh, sugar into our foods. We eat too much sugar, right? Like that might not actually be the problem. The problem may be that, that manufacturers use sugar along with a whole bunch of other things that are, are much more complicated than sugar uh, and, and more uh, evil, I guess, in their intent. 
than than the sugar in the food. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I don't know. It's strange maybe to, to call that processed food, all of those. Um, but I think, I just think this is useful, like distinction between processed food, which cooking is processing, right? Like we've been processing foods for thousands of years uh, and ultra processed foods, which is this modern thing. And I think uh, at least a lot of the hypotheses, hypotheses are that this is the real problem. Um, so let me, let me ask you something though, mm -hmm. unless you got a really good point that you're going to. No, no, just no. Not I, like, so, you know, it's interesting. We're, we're, we are succumbing to the same issue that, you know, I, I was just lamenting before about everything becomes numbers, right. And everything becomes, you know, these, these sort of, you know, what did you add or what did you take away and what is the net result in terms of calories or fiber or whatever. But, you know, we aren't also appreciating the fact that like, if you have someone chop up your olives and put them into a little can, right? And and yes, that, that probably has like EDTA and a bunch of other like color stabilizers and like weird stuff in there, maybe even salt, right? Like, and so there's there's a debate there and we should talk about like the, the true chemicals, like get away from, you know, the oils and the salts and the sugar. Um, because relative to a totally synthesized, right, like chemical compound, which your body truly doesn't recognize relative to how we evolved over many years, um, I think that's an interesting thing. But just to get back to my point, the other thing is you're not actually cutting the olives. And there's a disconnection then in terms of how we relate to food and, you know, our eyes and our hands and, you know, and the work that you have to put into it to create a meal, right? Like, you know, there's another part to this that, that I haven't actually thought at all about. You do a lot more cooking than I do. Um, and I think that there's probably some studies that we could that we could point to. I know there are relative to kids awareness and appreciation for food, right? Like mm -hmm. if you want to get kids to eat a salad, the best thing you can do is like get them to help make you make the salad with you, right? So like, yeah, or have a garden shop. and see the, see the stuff grow and come out of the ground and they realize it's not gross. Yeah, but again, any any connection to the food more so than going to a supermarket and pulling it off because like to them, you know, the bag of chips that come out of, you know, a, right, like off the, the um, shelf is, you know, like versus going and getting potatoes and like thinly, thinly chopping those potatoes and putting them in the oven maybe a little oil, maybe a little salt, right? And like baking them, right? It's not only massively better for you, right? From a nutritional standpoint, but then the relationship to the food and the appreciation for where potatoes come from. And, and like I said, the connection with your eyes and your hands and everything else, like I have to think that that's a big part of this as well that we don't really talk as much about because again, we're so obsessed with these numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I certainly agree with that. Like, but then, you know, then it gets to like, but realistically today, how many people are going to have gardens and grow their own food? Um, and, and, and unfortunately, how many people have, have the resources or the time to, you know, make the salad from scratch and buy the stuff. And that's, that's, you know, ultra processed food is bad for many, many reasons, but it's also good in some ways because it makes food stay shelf stable a long time and massively cheapens food. And suddenly people can afford food that, you know, might not have been able to before. So like, it's, it's interesting that it comes with a lot of practical benefits, um, at the cost of course of, of long-term health. So I don't do know you, if there's an answer, on. but yeah, but yeah. Do you think that's, that's true? I mean, let's, let's debate that though, because 
you know, I, I agree with you that by way of example, you know, when lettuce is picked in Guatemala, it's three weeks until it hits your grocery store, right? Because it's got to it's got to be put on a truck and then on a boat and then on another truck and then into another, you know, the last mile truck and then it gets unloaded. Like it's a it, it's it's quite a process. And those, you know, like, thank God we have the tools to preserve that food and and retain some amount of the nutrient quality, um, you know, including using, a, you know, gases or, or, you know, covering it in plastic or whatever it might whatever it might be, uh, not all of which I, I love, um, spraying cucumbers with some sort of wax, right? Like, um, not not all things that I like to consume, but I agree with you that there are those technologies that help to um, allow people, say, who live in Minnesota, um, to still have fresh fruits and vegetables year round, and they're not reliant on like only pickled vegetables as, you know, the Eskimos who might have inhabited the tundra mm -hmm you know, 200 years ago might have been. But when it comes to like potato chips, right? Or, or I mean, you you pick the middle of the grocery store food I'm picking item, McDonald's, like, McDonald's Happy Meal in terms of calories per dollar. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. You think that's a, that's a good innovation or do you think that it's just subsidies and a lack of innovation from good-hearted entrepreneurs who can actually create healthy foods at an affordable price. I, I have no idea. I really don't know. I haven't thought about it. Uh, yeah, I think it's, I mean, I, I, in general, I think it's probably good. I think there'd be people who don't get food or maybe it's an addiction that has, that has people have been hooked on forever now and it's kind of all they know and all they can do and don't know how to cook. Um, and so we're kind of addicted to this thing, which is a whole other topic, right? The old uh, dopamine addiction of, of, UPF and many other activities that so many of us spend most of our time doing nowadays. Um, so I don't know, but it sounds like you think uh, it sounds like you think it's it's not a good and there's space for entrepreneurs to do better work there. Is that right? Well, I think I think the government has its hand on the scale to the detriment of our population because lots of unhealthy foods are subsidized. Um, however, I also think you're absolutely right that, you know, um, most markets, right. Uh, operate efficiently to provide people the goods and services that they, that they want. And, you know, I haven't had a, a happy meal in, you know, probably 15 years. Um, but I can tell you the last time I did, it was delicious, uh, <laughs> cause to your point, it hits all of those pleasure sensors and that's what businesses are made to do they're they're made to you know satisfy our desires and so i'm not in disagreement with you i'm not saying that mcdonald's should overnight you know only sell salads it would not be in their shareholders best interest and probably not you know doing their fiduciary duty therefore to you know build that that business um but I don't think that we should just, you know, plainly say that that UPF has uh, allowed us to, uh, you know, the the dollar per calorie ratio justifies it because we got to feed the population. I, I, you know, we're feeding them too many calories, right? And obviously, I think you would agree the wrong types of 
of calories and, and it's not an easy answer it's not like banning upf tomorrow you know it's going to solve anything because it just means that you know all of those politicians are going to get voted out of office and a new set of politicians are going to come in and they're going to bring back upf because that's what the people want so it's not an easy an easy path but i think you know i had to call out the nuance because I, I just yeah i do think it's a part of the part of the problem for sure yeah all right, so moving on, uh, we got to wrap up pretty soon here. Uh, I do want to talk about specifically when it comes to plant-based diets, with, which we both eat. Um, UPF, as I said, like it seems to have gotten popular as an attack on this alt meat industry, the Beyond Meats, Impossible Meats, uh, these things that that you know uh, one side of the political spectrum hates. Uh, and you know, I don't know. I I kind of hate them too, and I don't I don't really. I, I think they're really bad. Uh, but the data kind of says otherwise. There's an interesting one. Uh, this came out a few weeks ago. It, it was in the Lancet. And they looked at the impact of UPF on uh, morbidity rates of cancer and cardiometabolic diseases. 266,000 participants, 60% uh, of them were women. They were free of cancer, cardiovascular disease, and type 2 diabetes when they started this thing. Uh, I believe it was based on surveys, uh, not like a clinical trial, but yeah, after a median of 11.2 years of follow-up, um, what they found was that higher UPF consumption uh, was associated with an increased risk of multimorbidity of cancer and cardiometabolic diseases. But the interesting thing is the animal-based products were, and artificially and sugar-sweetened beverages were the worst offenders. They were the most linked to these increased morbidities. Um, but Ultra-processed breads and cereals and plant-based alternatives were actually not associated with risk. So that would lead one to conclude this is just one study, and we don't know that much about uh, the methods. I didn't go too deeply into it. Um, but more importantly, this is just one study. Uh, but that kind of sounds like these alt-meats are getting a pass, despite being you know high in, in saturated fat, for one thing, uh, to be reductionist for a minute. Uh, but also just the, the process, I don't know if it's textured pea protein or what it is, but it's just, it's just vegetable protein. Um, definitely not a whole food, not something I typically think of as a health food. Um, but you know, appears not well, to be harmful at least with these two. Diseases. Yeah, we, yeah. And we, we, uh, there's another great study that I think you shared with me, which was for every 3% of your diet that you increase in plant protein, plant protein, not protein in general, um, it was linked with a 38% increase in in whatever we call, you know, the factors contributing to longevity. Um, and that, you know, once again, proves the point that, you know, nutrition is a spectrum. And so I think the cut to the heart of what you're saying, um, plant-based uh, meat alternatives, um, may not be healthy, but they might be healthier. And thus, when presented, you know, in, in these studies, when it's like, you know, compared to the standard American diet, I would encourage people to eat beyond meat all the time, right? Um, I'm a little shaky on impossible uh, burgers, because I think, you know, they've, they've modified the, the heme iron there in a kind of weird way. And I just, I, I like, I'd rather eat the pea protein, um, even if it, you know, like I don't really want the taste of blood, which was the whole point of them, you know, trying to mimic it and and appeal to, uh, you know, more of a, a carnivorous palate. 
Um, but I, I commend them for doing so because I hope more people will choose that, right? And there's that famous study, you know, from uh, Stanford that was sponsored by Beyond Meat. Yeah, um, so Swap Meat Study was called. Yeah, and uh, and it showed you know great um, improvement to the risk factors of heart disease at a minimum. It might have had some other, but but just showing you know when it comes to atherosclerosis, you know eating more of these processed, very very processed plant meats can you know be a healthy alternative. But like th then you got to stress the alternative part. And again, that's why I say it's like a spectrum. If someone's eating McDonald's every single day. And you have to look at that as like a matrix of, you know, there's bread, super processed bread, right? And like the cheese and mayonnaise and, and that really cheap meat. And God knows what else is in that meat in terms of hormones and steroids and the like, um, you know, as compared to a, uh, you know, a plant-based sausage and probably healthier choices that you're making with that because people who are buying, a you know, a, a Beyond Sausage are probably not you know, making the same decisions as you are when you're going getting Coke and fries and the rest from McDonald's. So right. I, I think it's hard to look at those studies and interpret anything other than, yeah, it's definitely healthier, but it doesn't make it healthy. Um, quick aside, just because I mentioned steroids and antibiotics, did you see the Olympic, uh, the Olympian who recently was disqualified and um, claimed that the high anabolic, like the performance enhancing drugs that were in her system came from um, too many uh, chicken burritos um, because no, chickens I did not. Are, chickens apparently are consistently treated with that same anabolic steroid for them to get bigger faster. So, <laughs> right, right. so she blamed that <clears throat> she was eating too many chicken burritos and that is why she had that, that, that drug in her system. So I don't yeah, know if it's real. It, it, I mean, that speaks to like the, the next point that I wanted to get to, which is that like, if you're back to what you mentioned at the beginning of this episode, which is pretty much a good time for us to circle back, I guess, and be done. If you're talking to an omnivore at a, at a barbecue or a party or whatever, a barbecue where you probably brought your vegan meat to it. Um, like I always go right to that common ground thing. Like we start talking about whole, like, I, I just don't like the conversation. It's just not my favorite thing to talk about vegan diet. And I don't know why I just, I just don't want to be seen as like trying to preach the diet. Cause I, I'm just not that type. Um, so I will always go to the common ground that we have, which is not eating processed foods. And, and often they'll, they'll make some remark about like, you know, which the meat industry has certainly done. They'll look at, they'll talk about the ingredient list of a beyond burger compared to like something that has, they say one ingredient, which is just, you know, beef. Uh, and it's kind of hard for me to make the argument, you know, steeped as I am in this, uh, ultra processed food stuff. Um, it's hard for me to like come back at that and say, no, your diet, your, your meat patty is worse than mine is. Uh, because look at these studies and look at this swap meat study and this animal aging protein thing that you just mentioned about 3% swaps. Uh, I just have a hard, and I don't have a lot of data behind it, but like, it's just hard for me, even as a plant-based eater to say this, you know, Franken food really, uh, is healthier than this thing that people have been eating for thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. Um, but I think the explanation in many ways may be what you just mentioned, right? Like the, it's not really one ingredient. It, it might be, but what goes into that animal to make that, to make that burger patty or that chicken breast, uh, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that, you know, maybe is ultra processed in its own way. It's just happening a few stages earlier. So it doesn't have to show up on the label of the food. Um, right. perhaps I did. And so if, if you, if you had to, you know, say like, is, is the beyond meat healthier than someone going and killing a, a 
you know, a cow in the wild. Are, do cows exist in the wild? I don't even know. Uh, killing a, not a probably not anymore. Right. Uh, they don't. Right. They don't seem like an apex predator. <laughs> so someone going and hunting something that is, you know, living in a fully natural way and eating that. I I don't know, and I I don't know if I could say a plant based thing seems healthier than that. Uh, but the reality is that's not how people eat. Uh, so I I don't know where else to go with that. But um, well, I, but I think I think the point that you're actually trying to make is not that eating meat in the wild is healthier than a plant-based diet because that's where I ultimately end up is like this is a it's like a false equivalency if if maybe that's the right way to, to say it like we shouldn't be debating whether or not a beyond, beyond patty mm -hmm. is healthier than a meat patty like right. that it, you know it's it's almost like this is a trick set up by the mainstream uh food uh empire right to like make all the vegans unhealthy and like get us debating whether or not, you know, this highly processed pea protein is healthier. And it's like, actually, you know, the cauliflower steak, like that's where we should be focused. Right? Like it's, you know, like we, if, if, cause it's really, really hard. I think when you look at water content and all of the, you know, micronutrients, and we know all, all of the, the debates at this point are boring to, or I should say all the points, um, which at this point are boring to um, recount just how much healthier fresh fruits and vegetables are to processed foods, or uh, in my opinion, um, to meat products, right? Like I think a vibrant, I mean, just last night, I was feeling really run down and maybe it was totally psychosomatic. It might've been, um, but I had some sprouts and some kimchi and, uh, uh, like a banana, weird combination, I know, but like, I just didn't feel like I had eaten anything like that had really vibrant micronutrients that day. And like 30 minutes later, I felt pretty good. Like, <laughs> I just don't know what it was, but like, and, and I think that's where you really push people and say like, can you really tell me that after you eat a bag of potato chips or a T-bone steak as compared to like, this really awesome salad with like broccoli and sprouts and beans and all this stuff. Like, can you really tell me one of those is healthier or, or, or that the salad isn't the healthiest thing there? And I think it would be very, very hard to make that argument in a reductionist way or from like a holistic, like we're one with the universe kind of way, anywhere on that spectrum, you got to pick the salad. And I think any debate, on the ultra processed plant-based meat analog spectrum, you know, it's just deluding ourselves into not seeing that truth. But could you survive on that salad if that was all you ate versus the T-bone thing? I don't know. Well, I know we're about to run out of time because you're getting on the plant-based morning show, but I, I there sure is am. an interesting uh, study about protein intake um, and processed plant-based foods. Um, and can you survive on, on salad? Uh, I think you can. I mean, I mentioned beans, I mentioned broccoli, right? Like I think absolutely, but sure. you got beans in there. But, uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, our friend Furman's G bomb, right? Like you, if you, if you have, I mean, I'm not talking about like a dinner salad, right? I'm, I'm talking about like the hearty one that is hard to finish because it's so much plant mm -hmm. material um yeah i i would stand by that uh but hard to go to a barbecue and make friends with your <laughs> with your big salad it is
so we have uh, we have not answered the question of what's the healthy relationship with ultra processed foods. I think we've sort of maybe conveyed it. Uh, I mean, you know, we eat that stuff. We eat ultra processed foods maybe more than I realize, but the alt meats and things like that is is probably a once a week thing for now. It used to be much less, and I I would have said I'll never eat that stuff once a week. Uh, but you know, it has crept into more and more places, and it's just easy to do. Uh, I find myself liking it less and less. So I don't, you know, I don't know what the what the what the relationship is. What what is the rule of thumb? What what amount of that food is healthy versus isn't? These studies uh, certainly make it seem healthier than I sort of assumed it was. Um, yeah. And at the same time, I'm I find myself you know less and less attracted to it. So I don't know. Uh, I do know that uh, being dogmatic about yourself and saying I'm never going to eat any of this stuff. I'm only eating the salad Matt Tolman described. Uh, it's hard for me to be happy that way, right? You need to have to me some room for uh, wiggle room or making of food that is like an old favorite you used to have before you were plant based. Uh, so that's that's kind of where I stand on it. Um, you mentioned your uh, you got your bonza pasta, which you eat you eat that literally every meal of the day, right? <laughs> <laughs> I always reference it because it's a point <laughs> of too. contention between <laughs> between you and me. My family, my go to, right? Um, when uh, when I am cooking, it's like you know the because my wife is uh, gluten intolerant, um, and, and, like probably celiac, but not quite like you know a crazy allergic reaction. Although it's pretty crazy. Um, and so we eat gluten-free pasta and it's just so easy to boil water, throw that in, you know, also with veggies, you know, I always sneak in, uh, um, riced cauliflower, you know, chopped broccoli, bunch of veggies. Um, but we also put on, uh, you know, the vegan, um, mozzarella, which let's be honest is like pure oil and salt, right? Like there's just nothing healthy about vegan cheese and uh but that is our go-to everyone eats a tremendous amount i literally have to make like four boxes of bonza pasta for our family of seven and uh um yeah and everyone eats really really well so um that's you know that and i think occasionally the beyond sausages are, are where we try to limit it as much as possible but look we could go into an entire another hour on how frustrating it is to raise children in this country because like you know they're they go to school and it's like you know just a free-for-all of the worst types of foods and you know yeah. that's that's saying something and you know my kids go to a montessori school in colorado so if it's bad here god knows what they're serving them in new jersey right <laughs> all right well, we gotta go um we'll be back next week with another one of these thanks for listening check out the plant-based morning show check out nomi dothy radio all making a making a resurgence, joining forces. Uh, so we're just getting started. Yeah, excited for that. All right. Bye -bye. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Talk to you soon.